uh, if, you, if you remember, we purely and simply went over some of the rationale behind why it's important for us to, to read through uh, the, the Old Testament. We looked at, I think, four different reasons. I'm not going to go over them again, uh, but we looked at four different reasons why it's vital for us uh, as Christians, as uh, believers in Jesus Christ, as, as people who are rooted in the New Testament to also be deeply familiar with the Old so we're going to go through uh, uh, the book of Nehemiah over the next, the next few weeks. We'll have a little break in uh, October as we enter into stewardship season. And then we'll continue just a little bit more uh, through until the end of November uh, when we will enter uh, into Advent. And at that time we will begin to uh, uh, look at Matthew's Gospel. Last year we went through Luke's Gospel uh, from, from Advent all the way through to Pentecost. We're going to be going through Matthew's Gospel for that same season. Again, I want us to be familiar with the stories of Jesus. There's the old hymn. I don't know if it's still in the hymn book, is it? No. Tell me the stories of Jesus. I love to hear. I don't think it's in the hymn book anymore. It is? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but it's a wonderful hymn and it's something that's vital for us as well, for us to be familiar with the stories of Jesus. So we're spending time each year uh, going through uh, one of the Gospels, but it's also important, as I stated, for us to be familiar with the Old Testament because that helps us in our understanding of the Gospel and who Jesus is. So our text today is from the book of Nehemiah and uh, chapter 1. Uh, if you would turn with me in the Pew Bibles, uh, you'll find that on page 430. And if you have your own Bibles, which I hope some of you are beginning to get into the habit of doing, uh, I would love to see you bring your own Bibles with you and become familiar with where some of these uh, passages are in your own Bible. And maybe in your own scripture, your own Bible, you can make some notes and you can do some underlines as you would see fit. Um, but in the Pew Bible anyway, it's on page 430. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. 
Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of, of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a little bit of setting, first of all. I think some of you might be familiar with uh, the, the idea that the people of Israel, uh, the people of Judah, um, after years of uh, uh, trying and failing and failing and failing and uh, being uh, informed of the, the ways of the Lord again and again throughout the Scriptures, through the words of the prophets, through the words of their teachers, um, they had been... Uh, uh, informed of how the Lord wanted them to be and how the Lord wanted them to live. They had repeatedly gone again and again after their own ways. They found themselves in a period of, of exile for, for a number of centuries. They were in exile, first of all, to the Babylonians, to the Assyrians, to the Persians. And here we find ourselves uh, around uh, 450 there or thereabouts, 450 BC, about 450 years before uh, Jesus, in a period of time where the people were beginning to try to get back to Jerusalem, to rebuild, to resettle, to make it their home again. Now, the man, the king who's mentioned here is a, is a man who we'll find out in the next chapter called Artaxerxes. Some of you may be familiar with part of that name, uh, the name Xerxes. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie 300. You're familiar with the movie 300? An extremely brutal movie that is about a small band of Spartans uh, led by Leonidas, or Leonidas, however you pronounce it, who is played by Gerard Butler, who is Scottish. All of us are ripped in the same way that Leonidas is built. I, am, I, 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 I would embarrass you were I to do that. I'm not going to show you my abs, but I look just like that. It's a Scottish thing. Um, Maisie will affirm that, I'm sure. The English don't have it, Tony. I know you're not built like this. <laughs> But it's, uh, it's certainly a Scottish thing. Um, anyway, one of the characters in that movie, uh, the great uh, Persian king who was depicted in that film as being a, a, a massive, beyond human size, overpowered, um, he was Xerxes who uh, was succeeded in reign. Xerxes was a historical character as was Artaxerxes, who was his immediate successor. So this is all happening 
around about the same kind of time. This is actually a story that takes place in real history. This is not a fiction that we're going to read as we read the story of Nehemiah. This happens at that particular time. So what happens is Nehemiah is uh, he's working uh, under Artaxerxes. He has a very particular role there we learn that he was the cup bearer to the king. Now what is the role of cup bearer? Well, first of all he was a slave. So on one level he was a nobody. Okay, a subhuman. Okay. It was a very menial task in many ways, but it was also a very privileged role that he had. He always had the king's ear. He was someone who was trusted implicitly by the king. Because what did the cupbearer do? Didn't just bear the cup and didn't just serve the cup. But the cupbearer was the one who was responsible for, for selecting what the king would be drinking on a particular occasion. And the cupbearer would also be required before he served any drink out of the king's cup to take the king's cup and pour a portion of it into his own cup hand and sample it to make sure that the drink was not poisoned. Was people who were in power at that time were under the threat of death all the time. They were always claimants to the throne. So Nehemiah was one who was in that position of, of a very menial task, but at the same time a position of high trust and a position of intimacy with the king. And this is where he finds himself. So of all the positions he could be in, it was a place of privilege. It was a comfortable place. It was a comfortable position. A place that he, although there were significant risks involved, he was in the palace and he was protected. Not a position he would gladly give up. And yet what happens as the story begins, we find that this character uh, that he describes as, as one of his brothers. Was it a brother? Was it a kinsman? Was it simply someone who also was a son of Abraham? It's not specific. It could be any or all of uh, uh, those, those things. But this character called Hanani comes and shares some news with Nehemiah. It's interesting that Hanani's name is rooted in the word for grace. Grace is a gift. So in a very real sense, Hanani comes with a gift for Nehemiah. And this gift is a transformative gift that takes place in Nehemiah's life. Everything from this moment on is turned upside down. Hanani shares the news with Nehemiah and the news is this, that the remnant there in the province who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. The city had been under the process of being rebuilt. Exiles had returned uh, back to the province of Judah. They had returned back to Jerusalem. They were rebuilding the city and yet there continued to be enemies who were destroying the place, who were knocking it down. And the, the assumption was is that people go far, far away back to their home that things are going well. You know, as things were going well for Nehemiah, the assumption was this is going to be good news that I'm going to hear from Hanani. 
Tell me how things are going with the people back home again. Surely things are well. No. I'm sorry, things are falling apart. We're in an awful situation. It's in an awful state. The walls are the walls are being knocked down. The gates are being destroyed by fire. And then we find Nehemiah's response to this news that's shared with him. Now, I invited you or challenged you or encouraged you, whatever word you, you choose to use last week to read the book of Nehemiah. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm going to assume that all of you have done that because I know you're great people. And I know you've all read the book of Nehemiah and you've all got this great understanding of the story and you're all familiar with the story. And as you're familiar with the story, you will know that Nehemiah was a man of action. He was a man who when he had a task, he performed that task and carried out that task. If it was something he was unable to do himself, he made sure that he had people on hand who would fulfill the task and who would take care of things. So Nehemiah was a man of action. And since you've read Nehemiah, you know that. And since you've read the book, and on rereading this first chapter, you will know that this first introduction to Nehemiah comes as something of a surprise. Because we don't find a man of action. What we find at the very, very beginning, when he hears this news, do you hear what he does? As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. And I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Doesn't sound much like a man of action to our ears, does it? We would expect someone who was a man of action to get up and just take care of things. Well, as much as Nehemiah was a man of action, Nehemiah was a man of God. And Nehemiah understood that as much as he was a man of God, a person of God, so these people who were returning from exile, who were trying to build the city, they were the people of God as well. And they were in desperate need, not simply of someone who could get the job done, but someone who, first of all, was utterly committed to God's will and to God's plan for the people of God. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His first act was to sit down and to pour out his heart before the God of heaven the God to whom he belonged, the God to whom these people belong. Confessing the sins of the people. Did you, did you, if you're ever looking for a prayer of confession, this is one that you can turn to. He opened his heart and he laid before the Lord his own sins, his own culpability for the sins of his people, his own guilt. And he said, Lord, 
as much as you have been faithful in carrying out what you said you would carry out, carry out if we were unfaithful, so I trust that you will be faithful to your people when we turn back to you. His primary goal, and as we study this book, you'll see that this was his primary goal, was not to rebuild the city. Oh, it reads like it is, but his primary goal is to rebuild the people of God, to bring them back into the presence of God, to bring them back to a place of safety and security, not behind walls in that sense, but into the realm of God, the place where they can encounter God and be transformed by the one who is the awesome God, the God of heaven and earth. The one who no matter how far his people were scattered, physically, spiritually, emotionally, he would bring them back to himself. Nehemiah knew that. And that was his task. That was his goal. That's what he set out to do. And as we read through this book, as we study this book, you will see that that is the goal that he achieved. And he was only able to achieve this because first, before he did anything else, he turned back to the Lord and brought the people before the Lord. You know, I like to look at names and I like to study names sometimes and know what names mean. We've talked about this in the past. We mentioned that um, Hanani, his name means gift. He brought this gift to Nehemiah and this gift changed everything. But Nehemiah's name is also significant. The name Nehemiah means the Lord comforts. The Lord comforts. When I was ordained, it was almost 20, next year's my 20th anniversary, believe it or not, of ordination. I can't believe that. But I'm, when I was ordained, the, 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 the preacher at the service was a man called Sam Warner. He was pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. And one of the things that he said, and this is, not much of that service sticks in my mind, but this moment in the sermon always <coughs> sticks in my mind. And it's a moment that I, may, have, I may, may very well have shared with you in the past. And it's something that I will share with you again because it's important. In the midst of the sermon, uh, Sam was talking about um, what it meant. He was talking all about identity and what it meant to be a servant of God. And this is a word that comes to all of us. He said in the middle of his sermon, Ian, he said, I want to remind you of something when you go about the work that you're doing in ministry. He said, I want you to remember something. As you begin your task, you are not doing your own work. He said, I also want you to remember that you are not even doing God's work. And that caught me short and it caught everyone else short as well. 
And he went on to say, what you are doing is this. God is doing God's work through you. And that perception changes everything. I'm not doing my own work. I'm not doing God's work. It's God who is doing God's work through me. And this is the mindset of Nehemiah. He fell on his face. He worshipped God. He was in mourning for the people. And he placed himself in God's hands, recognizing that God was going to do God's work through him. I challenge each and every one of you, as I challenge myself, to hold on to that truth and to remember that truth. When things are challenging, God is doing God's work through you. When things are difficult, God is doing God's work through you. When things are not going the way that you might expect, God is doing God's work through you. When people become challenging, God is doing God's work through you. God is doing God's work. Nehemiah knew that. And that gave him comfort. And his name was a comfort to the people of God. May we remember that God is doing God's work through us. And may we bring comfort to all those we encounter. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before we, we sing.